Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. We believe in the American way, and we built this country called the USA, and we fly our flag because we're proud and free. We're Americans. Red, white, and blue is our way of life. Never back down from a challenge or a fight. Nature provides, God gives the rights, we're Americans. Welcome, patriots, to our Convention of States podcast, titled That Provident Article, a reference given to Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution by James Madison. Our opening theme music is Amazing America, used by permission of Madison Rising. America's most patriotic rock band and endorsers of the Convention of States Project. This podcast series is a weekly discussion concerning the fifth article of the U.S. Constitution, the amending provision, with a general view on the phrase Convention for Proposing Amendments and specific focus on the Convention of States Project. For more information regarding the Convention of States Project, please visit www.conventionofstates.com. My name is Paul Hudson. And I've been a volunteer with the Convention of States Project in Texas since early 2014. Our goal is to continually educate ourselves on Article 5, to bring timely information relating to the Convention of States Article 5 movement, and to promote the use of Article 5 to rein in our federal government. And good morning, everyone. It is Saturday, June 10th, 2017. This is Paul Hudson on... The podcast, That Provident Article, it is great to be with you again. We missed last week because uh, we had a big celebration here in Texas down in Austin at the governor's mansion. Governor Abbott invited uh, the volunteers who had worked so hard for so long in getting the Convention of States Resolution passed. Uh, He invited us down, and we had a fantastic celebration at the governor's mansion. He greeted all of us. He gave a speech, which was a big big shout-out, basically, to the grassroots. Um, Huge, huge uh, big thank you to Governor Abbott and his team. Um, If you have an opportunity to go out onto the Convention of States YouTube channel and see and listen especially to Governor Abbott's speech and see just the kind words he had and the encouragement he gave to the grassroots because that's really what what got things going here in Texas, and that's what it's going to take around the nation. Uh, enough about what happened here last week, uh, since we weren't on. We're, this week we're going to be talking about um, Article 5 endorsements. It's kind of a follow-up to two weeks ago when we went through uh, some of the books which have come out, especially recently, uh, again with Senator Coburn's book. That's kind of the fourth book in the last eight years or so. Uh, Randy Barnett's book wasn't really specifically about Article 5, um, his, but his um, – Bill of Federalism, which came out in 2009, was really the first attempt at showing the multiple subjects, the multiple amendments that would be needed uh, to address the overreach of the uh, federal government. But we want to talk about endorsements, kind of a a follow-up to the books, which were, of course, Randy Barnett's book, uh, Mark Levin's book, The Liberty Amendments, Governor Abbott's book, Broken But Unbowed, and then uh, Smashing the D.C. Monopoly. Uh, by Senator Coburn, and just look at endorsements in general. And what is the value of having an endorsement? You know, 
that why is there commercial television or commercials on the radio, uh, especially when you have somebody who is known talking about a product or a service? Of course, you want to have an association with expertise. Uh, so if you have an endorsement for something which is about the Constitution and using the Constitution, you may want some people who are familiar with it, who have used it, who maybe helped write it or helped ratify it. Uh, it gives credibility to a movement or to an organization or to a, a process uh, such as we're trying to use with Article 5 and the state-initiated amendment process. The number of endorsers is also important. If you get just one person out there or a couple of people who are saying we endorse this and you have a whole slew of experts on the other side, you might want to consider, well, who is it at this point who's who's really uh, giving me the best uh, comfort level with what I should should look to? So an endorsement is not always the right thing. You know, everybody can be wrong, um, but. That's, it's just there's wisdom in, in numbers of counselors, and that's really what the endorsement process is, is, is you're looking for that wisdom from multiple people who are agreeing to the same thing, uh, who have thought this through. And with Article 5, we want to look at specifically a couple of, of our uh, categories. Legacy, I'm calling them legacy endorsers, those who were around uh, either when the Constitution was, was written and ratified and in use early on, uh, and contemporary endorsers, those who are basically uh, from the last 20, 30 years or so. Um, and among those legacy endorsers, again, the framers and the founders, uh, we separate those out, and Rob Nadelson has been has done great work at just explaining that. Framers are the men who actually wrote the Constitution. So they had a thought process when they were in Philadelphia, and you can read through all of Madison's notes and the other notes that were taken, and see the debates, but that's only one side of it. The founders, that would be not just the framers, but those who were involved in the ratification process and actually exercising uh, the, 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 not the policies, the uh, principles of the Constitution early on. When we talk about original intent, you want to look at not just the framers, but those who ratified, the state ratification conventions are very important, and the thoughts behind them, it's really when all those bodies together are looked at that you have an understanding of what that contract, and we're going to talk about it in terms of a legal contract between the citizens and the states uh, and the people, or the citizens and the government, the states, which actually meant when everybody agreed to it. Uh, historical giants we want to look at as endorsers, and, and that comes from presidents. Many of them were also framers or founders. Uh, and I've had Supreme Court justices, but I, I ended up not throwing Justice Scalia in here, but we do have Justice Joseph's story in this one. And then contemporary endorsers, we're going to look at uh, a lot of constitutional experts, those who are experienced, those who are basically lawyers who who know the Constitution, have argued before the Supreme Court, uh, and political leaders. What was the value of having some people who are political leaders endorse you? Uh, well, let's go with the legacy endorsers, and of course, the, the famous one we have is George Mason. Uh, twice during the convention, the Philadelphia Convention in 1787, there was significant, not significant, this is about the only time it was discussed, what ended up being Article 5, uh, the state-initiated amending con uh, provision. On June 11th of 1787, as they were discussing the only means of amending the Constitution at that point in time from the Virginia plan was the states 
having a convention. And George Mason said, quote, it would be improper to require the consent of the national legislature because they may abuse their power and refuse their consent on that very account, unquote. So at that point, the argument was, why would you have the national legislature involved at all? Uh, they're going to abuse their power, and if they do, they're certainly not going to consent to have their power reined in by amendments. And of course, famously, in, on September 15th, 1787. Article 5 had been uh, reworked at that point, five days earlier, uh, and it had been reworked in a manner in which only Congress at that point had the ability to propose amendments. I'm going to read to you what it read before it got changed on September 15th. It read this way, the Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem necessary, or on the application of two-thirds of the legislatures of the several states, shall propose amendments to this Constitution. So at that point, Congress alone could propose amendments. Now, they could be asked to do so on, a, on a, the application of the legis state legislatures, but still Congress would be the ones who would be proposing amendments. And, of course, George Mason famously stood up, famous quote, he thought, quote, thought the plan of amending the Constitution exceptional and dangerous, as the proposing of amendments is in both the modes to depend in the first immediately in the second, ultimately on Congress, no amendments of the proper time would ever be obtained by the people if the government should become oppressive, as he verily believed would be the case, unquote. So, of course, uh, as we look at what happened, the, amendment, the uh, amending language to Article 5 was put in to say on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states, shall call a convention. That's Congress shall call a convention for proposing amendments. So Congress now has a call. They don't have the they don't have the authority or the responsibility to propose the amendments themselves. It's done in a convention. And if, when that was brought forth, uh, as the notes say, um, it was approved NEMCON. And if you've ever gone to any type of convention or meeting, you have a motion for for uh, amending something or a motion on the table, a second then you can ask, is there any objection? And if there's no objection because you want to move your meeting along, you just say approved, right? The motion passes unanimously. There were no objections, and that's what happened here. There were no objections to this language among those men meeting in Philadelphia on September 15, 1787. The convention commissioners were unanimous. The men who wrote Article 5 and the rest of the Constitution were unanimous on this. Uh, and they had been when they – every time they discussed it, wasn't a lot, discussed in June, it was discussed again in, in late in August. There's never anything in any notes which said there were concerns about there being a convention of states. James Madison in Federalist 43, of course, <clears throat> the papers that were used to defend the Constitution during the ratification debates uh, and the ratification conventions of the various states. Federalist 43 – uh, goes through uh, in Section 8, I think it's Section 8 of Federalist 43, his quote, the mode preferred by the convention seems to be stamped with every mark of priority. It guards equally against that extreme facility, which would render the Constitution too mutable, and that extreme difficulty, which might perpetuate its discovered faults. It, moreover, equally enables the general and the state governments to originate the amendment of errors, as they may be pointed out by the experience on one side or on the other, unquote. So he's stating in here that 
the mode preferred by the convention is it it is safe right it guards it's not too difficult and it's not too easy you don't want either of those uh, remember the articles of confederation had a unanimous you had to have all the states agree to change anything and they were finding that they couldn't get anything done uh but you don't want it too easy uh because then you would it would be too mutable right it would be easy to uh change things without getting the consent that that obvi- that uh principle of consent and consensus is why those thresholds are high uh and he wanted to point out that you know the general government meaning congress and the federal government they're going to discover some faults and the state governments are going to discover things through experience and that's really important they they wanted to emphasize during the uh, constitutional convention during the ratification process this was an experiment the constitution was an experiment and they this was a grand experiment they weren't sure how this was going to work and they knew they were going to discover things that they had not thought of and they needed to build a mechanism in to make it amendable not easily but to make it uh, amendable from all of those who would be affected and to be able again that the idea of separation of powers you want the federal government to be able to do some things with the ratification of the states but you want the states to have the ability when they see that the federal government is abusing their power uh to be able to do that without congress being able to block them so further james madison this is in 1796 where we get the title of this podcast as he's giving a speech uh at the house of representatives on the jay treaty and this is just kind of a throw in it has nothing to do with the jay treaty he was talking about the the structure of the, the constitution the structure of the federal government and the safeguards and he talks about the, the last safeguard that we have as as we the people and if this resource should fail and that and the resource he's referencing at that point is the elections right basically throw the bums out if they aren't doing what you do if that should fail there remains in the third and last place that provident article in the constitution itself by which an avenue is always open to the sovereignty of the people for explanations or amendments as they might be found indispensable unquote so again saying that it's the people have the authority in the constitution to call a convention through their state legislatures to put amendments in and to constrain a a runaway federal government final one from James Madison here This is the Virginia Resolution of 1799 and I love pointing this one out because uh, some of the opposition really loves to talk about the Virginia Resolutions of 1799 Virginia 1798 Kentucky Resolution of 1798 and the ideas of interposition and nullification and no other states supported either Virginia or Kentucky on those seven states had resolutions in opposition uh to the Virginia Resolution was true Madison's interposition statement and in 1799 same issue the alien and sedition acts Madison wrote the Virginia resolution and this is a part of what he said in here because Massachusetts rebuttal had been you need to use article 5 and here's what Madison wrote in 1799 quote the legislatures of the states have a right also to originate amendments to the constitution by a concurrence of 2/3 of the whole number in applications to congress for the purpose. So, unquote. So again, uh Madison and at no point ever again in his career did he talk about uh anything other than using Article 5 and the state initiated amendment process to basically um perfect 
what might have been found to be an error uh, in the Constitution. <coughs> Excuse me. Another framer, Alexander Hamilton, in Federalist 85, uh, which is the very last Federalist paper. It's interesting that it closes with how you can actually uh, correct any structural issues. Quote, by the fifth article of the plan, the Congress will be obliged, and his quote, on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the states to call a convention for proposing amendments. And then uh, Hamilton again. We may safely rely on the disposition of the state legislatures to erect barriers against the encroachments of the national authority, unquote. So Hamilton was stating, look, the state legislatures are our final uh, backstop. They, they can stop the federal government from its encroachment by calling a convention and proposing amendments to put constraints on them. George Washington, another framer, and of course our first president, his farewell address in 1796 includes this, quote, if in the opinion of the people, the distribution or modification of the constitutional powers be in any particular wrong, let it be corrected by an amendment in the way which the Constitution designates. So that was George Washington in his farewell address. Thomas Jefferson, a founder, was not a framer, did not uh, did not participate in writing Constitution. Uh, he wrote in a letter to William Johnson in 1823, but this is actually in reference to his reaction to the 1803 case, Marbury versus Madison, which established the idea, the principle of judicial review. Here's a quote from his letter. Quote, the ultimate arbiter is the people of the union assembled by their deputies in convention at the call of Congress or of two-thirds of the states. Let them decide to which they mean to give an authority claimed by two of their organs. And it has been the peculiar wisdom and felicity of our Constitution to have provided this peaceable appeal where that of other nations is at once to force. So a couple of things there. Again, the idea that the people have the ultimate say, first in ratification, but also in the, the idea of just being called uh, to a convention by two-thirds of the states, having Congress having to call them. And then he repeats something which Mason had said early on. You, know, you don't want to re rely on violence. You don't want to have to resort to violence. We want a peaceable mechanism. And, and Jefferson, also having lived through the revolution, wants to emphasize again, this is the peaceable mechanism that is available to rein in the federal government. Some historical giants. I'm going to go through some presidents here. Abraham Lincoln, his first inaugural address on March 4th, 1861. Quote, I will venture to add that to me the convention mode seems preferable in that it allows amendments to originate with the people themselves instead of only permitting them to take or reject propositions originated by others. Unquote. Of course, we're on the brink of civil war at that point on March 4th of 1861. There's actually an attempt uh, being made, which ended up being the Washington Convention, uh, to get amendments proposed which could possibly uh, prevent civil war. But Lincoln's saying there he would prefer that it not be something foisted upon the people just at, at ratification time, but that they actually originate the amendments and use the process which is in the Constitution to do that. Dwight Eisenhower, May 26, 1963, stated this. Uh, another president, obviously uh, closer to contemporary than legacy, uh, quote, 
through their state legislatures and without regard to the federal government, the people can demand a convention to propose amendments that can and will reverse any trends they see as fatal to true representative government, unquote. So like David Eisenhower back in 1963, he'd just been out of the presidency for about three years, saying you can rely on the state legislatures to do this and to rein in the federal government to propose amendments at a convention. Ronald Reagan, a radio address in February of 1979. This is dealing with the balanced budget amendment and that movement at that time, and, and even which had been supported by Milton Friedman, a famous economist. Quote from the radio address, quote, voices have been raised warning of a danger that a convention would open the door to all manner of proposed amendments. In my view, those who warn of this show little faith in our democratic procedures. The Constitution provides for both methods, and the convention is a safety valve, giving the people a chance to act if Congress refuses to, unquote. So Ronald Reagan, not concerned about, again, even in the 70s, the concept of the runaway convention actually uh, germinated there when there was concern by the left. It started from the left, concern that, a, that the people would hold a convention to propose an amendment, either balanced budget amendment or to curtail the Supreme Court abuse. And their concern was the people are going to figure out they have this power and we're going to lose power. That, that's their concern, and it continues to be the concern. And unfortunately, many of our friends on the right have taken up this fallacy, as Ronald Reagan pointed out. Uh, they don't have any uh, confidence. that They have little faith in our democratic procedures. If we don't have faith in our procedures, um, we're kind of in a lot of trouble anyway. Uh, Reagan, again, in May of 1994, so after his presidency, we can't depend on Congress to discipline itself. We must rely on the states to force Congress to act on our amendment. Fortunately, our nation's founders gave us the means to amend the Constitution through the action of state legislatures. That is the only strategy that will work, unquote. It's Ronald Reagan in 1994. <clears throat> uh, finally, historical giant uh, Justice, Justice Joseph Story from the 1830s. His commentaries on the Constitution of the United States Chapter 41, quote, nor is there any reason to fear that this provision in the Constitution will produce any instability in the government. The mode, both of originating and ratifying amendments, in either mode, which the Constitution directs, must necessarily be attended with such obstacles and delays as must prove a, a sufficient bar against light or frequent innovations, unquote. So just a story, speaking of Article 5 in general, but talking about both modes says, there are enough safeguards in place that it should not be a concern. There, should, there is no reason to fear. None. What about contemporary endorsers? And, and here's kind of where we're, we're finishing up. Constitutional experts, and we're going to focus on the, uh, the Jefferson Statement released September 11th, 2014 from the Convention of States Project. Here's their statement that they signed on to, the, the opening statement there. Quote, the Constitution's framers foresaw a day when the federal government would exceed and abuse its enumerated powers, thus placing our liberty at risk. George Mason was instrumental in fashioning, fashioning a mechanism by which we the people could defend our freedom. The ultimate check on federal power contained in Article 5 
of the Constitution. So we the people are the ultimate check. Here are the people who have signed on uh, to the Jefferson Statement. Randy Barnett, we talked about him a couple weeks ago. He's a Carmack Waterhouse professor of legal theory at the Georgetown University Law Center. He has argued cases at the Supreme Court. He was the lead litigator on the Obamacare case in 2011. Uh, so <clears throat> obviously an experienced uh, legal mind and uh, a, a, obviously a big supporter of the Convention of States. Charles J. Cooper has over 35 years of legal experience in government. And thank you once again for listening to that Provident article. We appreciate your listening. My name is Paul Hodson. I'm the co-director here in Texas, the Convention of States Project. We want to thank Madison Rising for all the music that they provide here, our intro and outro. Go out to their website, www.madisonrising.com. We invite you also to go out to our Convention of States website, www.conventionofstates.com. We want to thank the Convention of States Project, Mark Meckler, founder and president, Citizens for Self-Governance, Michael Ferris, head of the Convention of States Project, and a big, big thank you to our entire Texas Convention of States team. And we invite you to join us again next week for another episode of That Provident Article. All right. Uh, I do not know why that dropped. Um, I think it has something to do with Blog Talk Radio itself. Yeah, I've got 90 seconds left. Awesome. Let me read to you real quickly the constitutional experts, and then I will edit this all together. Uh, I talked about Dr. John Eastman. I think that's probably where we dropped out. President or Henry Salvatore, professor of law and community service at Chapman University, Fowler School of Law. Robbie George, Robert P. George, Princeton McCormick Chair in Jurisprudence. Um, C. Boyden Gray, Legal Counsel of the Administration of President Bush. Um, Mark Levin, obviously a radio host, Chief of Staff to Attorney General of, of the United States, Edwin Meese. Nelson Lund, University of Professor at George Mason University of Law. Matt Staver, Founder and Chairman of Liberty Council, Vice President of Liberty University. Andrew McCarthy is a best-selling author, senior fellow at National Review Institute, contributing editor at National Review, former chief assistant U.S. attorney in New York. He led the prosecution against the blind Sheik and 11 other jihadists for waging a terrorist war against the U.S., including the 1993 World Trade Center bombings. Mark Meckler is president of Citizens for Self-Governance, our parent organization at the Convention of States Project, and an attorney who specializes in Internet privacy law, and then maybe the most important person for, for many. Head, former head of this Convention of States project, Chancellor at Patrick Henry College, chairman of Homeschool Legal Defense. Uh, he has served as lead counsel in the U.S. Supreme Court on eight federal circuit courts and appellate courts of 13 states, and he litigated and won an Article 5 case in federal court, Idaho versus Freeman, and that stretched from 1979 through at least 1981. Um, and then finally, the political leaders, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, Supreme Court Justice, Attorney General, uh, crafted the Texas plan in 2016, and of course, Senator Tom Coburn, 
who was an Oklahoma representative and then a senator from the years 1994 to 2000, and then a senator 2004 to 2014, senior advisor with the Convention of States Project, author of Smashing the D.C. Monopoly. Um, I had to rush through that since we had dropped, don't know why, and uh, I'm going to play us out. Don't know if this is even going to be on the recording. And thank you once again for listening to that Provident article. We appreciate your listening. My name is Paul Hodson. I'm the co-director here in Texas, the Convention of States Project. We want to thank Madison Rising for all the music that they provide here, our intro and outro. Go out to their website, www.madisonrising.com. We invite you also to go out to our Convention of States website, www.conventionofstates.com. We want to thank the Convention of States Project, Mark Meckler, founder and president, Citizens for Self-Governance, Michael Ferris, head of the Convention of States Project, and a big, big thank you to our entire Texas Convention of States team. And we invite you to join us again next week for another episode of That Provident Article.